Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts Couch to 80k Writing Bootcamp Week 6, Day 5. This week we're looking at ways to demolish, mutate or otherwise monkey with the language in your stories to create interesting effects. Yesterday I asked you to have a novel handy when you listen to today's episode, ideally one by an author whose style you like. If you don't have one with you, you can go fetch one now. Pause me. I'll wait. Mainly we're going to be using this to get a sample of text, but if you're on a bus on the way to work, or similar, uh, a blimp, don't worry. Uh, I'll offer you some sample text that you can scribble down and use. How amenable of me. I, I don't like the term experimental fiction. Every story is an experiment. Whether that experiment is a formal one, what happens if I recount events out of sequence? What happens if the facts of my protagonist's life are unstable and keep shifting? What happens if I voluntarily limit myself by not using the letter E? Or a dramatic one? What happens if the person you love is so broken that you can't reach them anymore? What happens if someone lives long enough that they see all their friends die? What happens if a young girl is raised by ninja bears and one day leaves the forest to slay the tyrant who murdered her diplomat father and left her for dead? To call one sort experimental and the other mainstream or commercial is silly and blinkered and does a disservice to both. The thing about an experiment is it's judged a success or failure not by whether the expected result occurs, but by whether you observe what happens and learn from it. Does a bowling ball make a good buoyancy aid? You conduct the experiment, all your test subjects in the bowling ball group drown, the control group survive. That's a successful experiment, um, not on... Uh, ethics terms, but provided you reflect on the results and conclude that bowling balls are not useful poolside apparatus, you've gained something. Every author benefits from having a little bit of the eccentric inventor in them. A, a text reveals its secrets when you break it apart. Sure, I can, I can teach you how to replicate the structures of successful fiction, and we're just getting to the stage where you're going to be able to start applying all these skills we've been training with um, to a framework, but experimentation, taking a story to pieces, mutating it, or just taking a, a scene to pieces and doing that. It doesn't have to be novel-wide. You can do it in these small... Uh, you, can, you can kind of like have little uh, uh, zoned-off areas of experimentation within a more uh, conventional piece. You can do all that, uh, applying new rules to stuff and, and seeing what changes and what survives the transition. Not only does that sometimes lead you to startling chance discoveries, cool little moves that you can use in your novel to shock and delight the reader and put them on notice that this is not your average story and just, just wake them up so they see things more clearly. Not only that, but... Playing with language like this is, is, is an essential reminder that you're the author of this text, not its editor. This is your world, your book, and, and you get to choose the rules that govern it. If you want a child narrator to keep interrupting and correcting a detail you've just mentioned, you're allowed to do that. If you want to tell one character's story backwards, you're allowed to do that. If you want to insert fragments of poems from within your fictional world, or newspaper clippings, or blogs to give precise dimensions for every tree the protagonist sees, you can! Not everything you try will produce compelling or interesting fiction, and that's fine. We get stuck when we forget our sovereignty. We forget we're allowed to play, and that absorbed experimentation is not only deeply pleasurable, but a reliable source of innovations that will probably delight our readers too. You can edit it later and find out what worked and what doesn't, but if you start doing that in advance of doing the experiment, that's just bad science. So... If a metaphor is about changing a thing into another thing to deepen our understanding of the original thing, then today is pushing that principle to the next level. We're going to swap core building blocks of a story for different ones 
and and see what new stories we can create. So uh, and, and hopefully in doing that, we will learn something about the structure as well. So I want you to open the novel you've uh, got with you to the first page of the story. Uh, what we're going to do is take the first sentence or if it's only like a one word sentence or something, the first two sentences. Um, and then we're going to uh, create new versions, borrowing the structure, but switching out the nouns, verbs, adjectives and adverbs. So that's all the things, actions, describing words and, and words that describe how something was done. You can swap pronouns if you like to or leave them in up to you. So let's say, for example, the book you're working with is 1984, Orwell's patchy dystopian novel that opens with the famous line, it was a cold, bright day in April and the clocks were striking 13. So the key words there are cold, bright day, April, clocks striking and 13, with it as an optional extra. It was a cold, bright day in April and the clocks were striking 13. So you could change it to, it was a strange, dank evening in Tokyo and the ghosts were chasing Nigel. Or, there was an acrid, greasy mist in Lowtown and the slum fires were raging higher. Or even, she was a vast emerald dragon in repose and the children were offering tribute. So over the ten minutes, you're going to come up with as many permutations of the first and second sentence as you can, switching out the content. It doesn't have to make sense. We're just uh, throwing ideas together and seeing how they sound. Uh, no one is going to... There's not some uh, uh, joy police who are going to come up and say, You're, uh, this isn't proper writing. Uh, take you away. I mean, they might do. I can't. I can't guarantee that. It would be a rather, it would be a rather um, unlikely scenario, but I suppose, uh, I suppose deeply, um, yeah, no, it's not going to happen. So let's just say you've got Jane Austen in front of you, uh, one of her books, not Jane, uh, if you've got Jane Austen in front of you, you've desecrated a grave, that's, um, you're an awful person. Um, and, and with the famous opening line, it is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. You could change that to... It's a miracle rarely observed that a drunken wretch in town on a late weeknight sometimes becomes against his will an angel. Or, I am a cake lightly sugared that an ambitious baker in competition with her bitter rival regrettably has laced with arsenic. Or, or whatever. I'm trying to stick to the, um, the exact word structure, but um, obviously you've got a little bit of uh, wriggle room. What we're trying to do here is get a feel for the cadence of these sentences, their deep structure, regardless of semantic content. Not that I'm saying semantic content isn't important. Don't I can hear people tutting. I, I know semantic content is important, but it gets in the way of learning about structure. So for now, we're going to sweep it aside. OK, so um, either you can use the first sentences in the book you've got, swapping out words and creating new lines, or you can use the two examples I've just given, Orwell and Austin. I'll say them again. So get ready if you need to write them down. Of course, you can just rewind this if you don't hear me say it quickly enough. But um, yeah, here we go. You ready? It was a cold, bright day in April, and the clocks were striking 13. It was a cold, bright day in April, and the clocks were striking 13. That's sentence one. And sentence two. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man, in possession of a good fortune, must be in want of a wife. I'll repeat that one last time. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man, in possession of a good fortune, 
must be in want of a wife. Just imagine being an audiobook reader and having to like land that first line. Whoa, what an what a way to open your morning. God, you must you must feel like you really need to sell that. You must you must feel like uh you must feel like uh, Bono singing tonight. Thank God it's them instead of you. How can how can you make that line your own? It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in one of a wife. Amazing. Hire me, Audible. There you go. Okay, so as always, um, I'll give you 10 minutes. I'm sorry for that digression. Try as many variations as you can. Ready? Go.
Okay, that's your lot. How did you find all that monkey business? Are you surprised by any of your opening sentences? Did any of them suggest a story to you? Something that might tempt you to write a second sentence? Or, dare I say it, a third? Have they compared to the original sentences you were borrowing from? I think first lines are a really useful place to invest some time farting around in because they they carry such a burden of semantic and tonal freight, but also because a, a good one, one that has intriguing details or an interesting tone, can be a great spur for you as an author to power into the story. What you were just doing was, was taking apart some examples that probably work well and, and seeing if you can find an underlying mechanism that you can steal. Some creative writing teachers suggest going so far as opening a favourite novel of yours and literally typing out whole sections as a way of understanding the voice. I Look, um, if that works for you, great. It, it seems a bit silly to me. But then silliness is often the doorway to incredible breakthroughs. So who knows, if you want to try it, you're welcome to. I've never done it and I don't know anyone who's done it and said it's worked, but maybe it does. Um, remember, first lines don't just appear at the start of the book. The opening of every chapter of every new scene has to start somehow. And, and thinking of the opening of each new scene as an opportunity to re-engage the reader's attention, to go, here's why you should read on means you can have some real fun thinking up the most interesting bids. And they don't have to all be like jokes and you don't always have to oversell them. This isn't an argument for always going, meh, 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 opening line. I bet you didn't expect this to happen. You can be a wanker about it, right? I, I admit, but... Um, and, and often, as I've said before, simplicity can be hugely effective. But um, it's just worth playing about with it. And it's worth remembering that each of those things you do have to kind of like step back in. Don't don't just assume that the reader's on side. Think about a way you can re-engage them. Tr try and reward them for sticking with you. Right. Great work. Your ace. Um, let some of those weird ideas uh, percolate through your mind. And I'll see you tomorrow for our last episode of the week. <laughs>